Well, I'm underwhelmed to be here again. I think Belinda is too. Before I say what I'm going to say tonight, and by the way, this is good, because the Lord wanted me to speak about praise, and that's right, okay? But before I do that, uh, I don't want to sort of tell you an answer to prayer that Belinda and I ask. It's quite a goodie. And uh, a few months ago, I got it into my head, because my head works like this, that I'd like a word processor. I mean, it would help me, you know, have to do a lot of writing and stuff like that when you're a Bible teacher. And I thought, wouldn't that be good, you see? But I don't know anything about word processors, except that they're very expensive. But what I did is I started to sort of look around and uh, ask people who knew about them, you know, what they were like and stuff like that. And then at Christmas over in Romford, I sort of tracked down a shop which kind of could give you a demo. Because I went into places like Dixon's and that, and there were these word processes, and I asked them for the demo. And of course, they had the foggiest idea how to work them, so that wasn't a lot of good, you know. And eventually I found this shop that actually does computers and everything. So I went in there and I had a demo, all right, of this one I had my eye on. I thought, perfect, you know, that, that is the one, all right. I mean, it was only 600 quid, so it didn't seem to be that much of a problem. So we thought, right, you know, we better pray, <laughs> you see. So we started praying. I said, Lord, could we have that word processor? Because that is going to be tremendously useful. Well, that was Christmas, all right. Two weeks ago, one Saturday morning, we got a phone call from the very shop that I had the demo in, saying, Mr. Job, your word processor is ready. And someone went into that shop, paid for it, the exact one I wanted. No one knows who they are or anything. And, you know, so thank you all for that, you know. Praise the Lord. Actually, something else miraculous, totally unprecedented, happened the other week as well. I bought Michael Jackson's latest LP. <laughs> I never dreamt in a thousand years that you'd ever catch me buying Michael Jackson, but I think it's great, absolutely great. So at the moment, every time you come into our place, it's all boogie on down to Michael at the moment. And talking about boogie on down brings me precisely to what I want to talk about tonight. And if you just turn to John's Gospel and chapter 4, And just something that Jesus said. Because what we're going to look at tonight is what the Bible says about worship and about praise. And in John 4, 24, Jesus says this. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. But what I want to draw your attention to is what that word worship literally means. Because the Greek word there that's used is proskunio. And it comes from two different Greek words. One is pros, which means towards, and kunio, which means to kiss. And the word worship in the Greek literally means to draw near, to kiss. But there's more than that, because the second part of that word, kunio, comes from the Greek noun, which means, believe it or not, a dog. It's the word for a dog. And the semantic picture that we have here in the Bible of worship is a dog licking its master's hand. It's the affection and obedience of a little puppy to its master. Proscunio, drawn near to kiss. 
And of course, when we talk about worship and we're going on to look at praise, what we're talking about is an expression of our love relationship with Jesus. If you want to transfer the picture into marriage, worship is when a husband and wife make love. That's what we're talking about. This is what worship is. And we've got to move away from the rather sterile religious idea that worship is just part of what you do as a Christian. And it all gets a bit mechanical, and as you full well know, it all gets rather boring as well when it's like that. And that what I want to do tonight is that in everything I'm going to say about worship and praise, I'm going to assume that our hearts are right with God. I'm going to take that as read. Because, obviously, if our hearts aren't right with God, then none of this applies. The only thing that applies to you if your heart isn't right with God is 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins, all right? Do that first, then everything else applies to you. But I'm going to take it as read and assume that we're right with God, that our heart is right before the Lord. And, in fact, what I want to home in on is not, in fact, our hearts at all. I want to talk about what we do with our bodies in worship. And I want to show you that there's a really amazing connection between worship and what you do with your body while you're worshipping. Now let's think about it. Obviously worship has got to come from the heart, but what I want to show you is that that's not enough. Not biblically. Because not only must it come from the heart, it must come as everything that we do through the body. And if you think one moment about the meaning of our English word attitude, because if you think of the word attitude, everyone immediately thinks primarily, well, it's your mental outlook. And indeed it is. But attitude also means more than that. Because in actual fact, an attitude, according to the Oxford Concise Dictionary, means two things. A settled mode of thinking, there's your heart. And the second thing attitude means is the posture of your body. The attitude you take is what you are doing with your literal body in space. And so this connection is there. What we're going to be talking about tonight is body language. Desmond Morris rules okay, you know. Psychologists have done an awful lot in this area. That there is forever a connection between what's going on inside of us and what we therefore do with our body. I mean, everyone has body language. I mean, you think about your first boyfriend or your first girlfriend or the first time you met your wife or husband. Body language. Suddenly you find yourself acting in a different way. And even subconsciously, someone who's really trained and astute in this can actually look at somebody and find out the state of mind they're in. Even from very small things like twitches, if you've been trained to look, at, look for them, you can see them. And you can find out an awful lot about what's going on inside of somebody by having a good look at what their body is doing. And what I want to show you is that when it comes to worshipping the Lord, you cannot worship the Lord properly or biblically in the power of the Spirit if you're standing still all the time. I'll say that again. You cannot worship the Lord properly or in the power of the Spirit if you are standing still all the time. Go with me to Psalm 28. Because obviously what I say doesn't matter in the slightest. It's what the Bible says. Let's see what the Bible says about this. Psalm 
And what we're going to do is go through and have a look at some of the bodily actions that the Bible says should accompany and be part of our worship. Psalm 28. First of all, verse 2. Hear the voice of my supplication as I cry to you for help, as I lift up my hands towards the most holy sanctuary. Now go to Psalm 63. And verse 4. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. And then Psalm 134. And the first two verses. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Now please notice that these are commandments. There's nothing optional about this. When the Bible says flee fornication, believe me, that applies to all of us. There's no question about that. The Bible says flee fornication. We're all aware it means what it says. Here the Bible says lift up your hands when you worship the Lord. There is nothing optional about this at all. But you see, come back to body language. What we do with our bodies signifies the truth of something going on inside. Now, if you think about it, we're seeing that worship is going to include the raising of hands. Now, think about it. Across the world, every nation, everybody knows what that particular body language means. All you Westerns. means, I surrender. It means I'm perfectly aware that if I try to draw, you're going to blow my head off. <laughs> Can you see what I mean? It's surrender. And this is the importance in worship of lifting our hands up because it's body language for submitting to God. It's body language for saying, Lord, I'm perfectly aware that if you and I have a fight, I'm going to lose. Can you see that? Therefore, it means that in worship, we're going to express that, not in our, just in our inward attitude, but in the very attitude of our body, by lifting up holy hands, as the Bible says to God. Now, I know that for many, many people, this offends them. And it offends them, us, sometimes, because we're Brits. I mean, think about it, we're Brits, we're British. I think one of the most fundamentally important aspects of God's nature theologically is that he's not British. Because imagine, if God was British, you would never know what he thought about anything, and the only time he expressed himself to you would be when he had a bone to pick with you and be negative. Because that's what us Brits are like, isn't it? So can you see, this kind of offends us because we, we have this kind of almost hereditary, dreadful reserve that has been built into us over absolute generations. But you see, Desmond Morris isn't the only one who knows about body language and psychology, because the Lord does as well. And it's the Lord's very knowledge of psychology that has given us some of these commandments that we're going to be looking at in the Bible. Because you see, you can use your body to set yourself free of spiritual oppression. Now that might seem an odd thing to say, let me explain. I accept, because I too am a human being, and ignore the rumours to the contrary that go around sometimes, I too am a human being, and therefore I am perfectly aware that it is not always possible to get a grip of your emotions. Your emotions, by and large, at any one moment, are out of your control. If you wake up in the morning feeling a bit down, well, there's nothing you can do about that feeling. It's just there. You just have to wait until it goes away. 
So the point is that whereas we cannot have immediate control over the emotions inside, and say maybe you've come to church tonight and you're a little bit depressed. I think some of you are. I think it's a little bit oppressive here tonight, and praise the Lord, we can sort that out tonight. But say that some of you have come and you're feeling a bit down. Now, I know that you can't help it. You can have no control over that feeling directly whatsoever. But the point is this, you do have absolute control over what your body does. And what you do with the body can be the difference between whether those emotions remain or whether they're beaten. For instance, how can I demonstrate this? You know full well that, for instance, if you burn yourself, what's the immediate reaction? You, if you burn your finger, you pull it into the body. When your body is kind of pulled up tight like that, it's talking about defensiveness. We know that it means that there's something wrong, alright? So therefore, you come along to worship the Lord and you're a little bit fed up, depressed or whatever, and you're kind of self-centred, you're in on yourself, you're worried about, is all what I feel, you know, and I mean that's the sum total of what you are at that particular moment. People start worshipping, but you, you're, oh, I, I, I don't feel like this, and you're sitting there like that, or standing there like that. Now let me tell you, if you stand there like that, you are going to continue that emotion and strengthen it. But, can you see, that if while you're feeling like that, you make yourself, because you love the Lord and are obedient to the scripture, you make yourself lift your hands up. I'll tell you this, you cannot remain in that emotional condition if you make your body express joy. Can you see what I'm saying? But if you stay there like that, that shows that you're just into yourself, into that depression. Whereas if you come along and start expressing purely with your body, your love of the Lord, then you'll find that in actual fact, the feelings inside are going to correct themselves. But if you just keep nurturing the negative feelings with your body, you're not going to get anywhere. You've got to get out of yourself. You've got to do what the Bible says, and you'll find that in the very opening up of your body, in obedience to God, you will actually open up your heart to the Holy Spirit. Because there is a connection between what you do with your body and what's going on inside of you. Now it's very important to realise that in this raising hands and also the other things I'm going to show you, that these are things that the Bible says. I want to repeat, they're not optional. As some friends of mine used to go to an Anglican church, excuse me, but sometimes you have to say words like that, and they used to go to an Anglican church in Norfolk. And what happened was that they had been baptised with the Spirit and a group of them were starting to worship, they were lifting their hands up to the Lord and they were clapping. Now there was this old boy there who came up to them afterwards and he was extremely disgruntled that they were doing this. And he says, why are you holding your hands up in church? This is, this is terrible. The, the Bible doesn't say that. And they said, yes, the Bible does. And he said, will you show me? And they went through the Bible with this staunch Anglican showing him that the Bible said that you need to raise your hands in worship. The next Sunday, that staunch Anglican was there with his hands in the air. Simply because he realised the Bible said it. Therefore, because he was a Christian, he was going to do it. Now, can you see, if we begin to get this attitude into ourselves, we're in fact going to be able to overcome some of the negative things that Satan is able to build up inside of us, emotion-wise, and overcome them. Go to Psalm 47. We've seen lifting our hands in the air. Let's see something else now. 
And in Psalm 47, verse 1, clap your hands, all peoples, shout to God with loud songs of joy. We now have, not only holding your hands up, now we've got clapping and shouting. What? Shock horror. But this is what the Bible says. Clapping and shouting. Now, what does that picture up in your mind? I'll tell you what clapping and shouting pictures up in my mind. It's Saturday afternoon, it's people at a football match. Now, don't get me wrong, I love football, all right? But Saturday afternoon, there they are at the football match. What are they doing? They're clapping and they are shouting. All right. Now, what we need to understand is this. Why is it that unbelievers can go ape over a little ball that 22 men are kicking around? But there appears to be something weird about the idea of Christians getting excited about worshipping God. Let me do an impression for you. This is my impression of a Christian who likes football at a football match. Ray, come on, come on, Jimmy, boom, you know, Gray, here we come, Ray. See, there he is. I will now do an impression of that Christian at church. Now thank we all that. Now, is there not something wrong with that? Can you see that when we say that our being laid back in church is to do with our fundamental psychological makeup, it's not in fact true. That being laid back seems to only happen when worshipping God. But bung them in a football match or whatever they really like and they're free to express their excitement. Now therefore it shouldn't surprise us to see that biblically clapping and shouting is a genuine part of worship. Let's have a look at clapping first. Why is clapping, as far as body language is concerned, part of Christian worship? Well I'll tell you, what is clapping? Clapping is appreciation of talent. So if you go to a show or an opera or a rock opera or whatever it is you go to, at the end of the performance, it's like that, you see. You are saying, I appreciate your talents. Believe me, the Lord is extremely talented. And it may be one thing to go ape at a concert when you've just heard your favourite group, and why not? But for heaven's sake, shouldn't we be going ape when we come to hear the Lord? Can you see what I mean? What is there to be more excited about? Rock music, football, or any of those things which are quite valid, but my goodness, is not this reaction to the Lord even more valid? Can you see that clapping is a sign of appreciation? It's saying, wow, I think you're great. Therefore, clapping is part of worship. Shouting. Oh dear, shouting. Now, some time ago, I ended up sitting next to a, a, a in church to someone who was shouting. Now, shouting, you must understand, is cheering. It goes together with clapping. You clap and hooray and all the whistles and stuff like that. Again, it's excitement. Therefore, I can't think of anything to get more excited about than Jesus. All right. But the first time I ended up sitting next to a shouter in a service, I'll tell you what, I was quite simply embarrassed. I, I, I just wanted to... I just wanted to dig a hole and crawl into the ground. I thought, it's terrible. You know, I felt that the whole church were going to be looking around, you know, at this bloke, and there would be me, bright red, and they, uh, oh, oh dear, this, this is awful. 
But what came of that was quite simply this. There was I thinking that this guy was way out of line and over the top, and oh, I wouldn't bring any of my friends to this church if they're going to do things like that. And do you know what happened? The Lord convicted me of sin. And what the Lord showed me is that if this guy was freer in the Holy Spirit than I was, rather than complaining about him, oughtn't I be getting my act together a bit more? And can you see the point? It was nothing to do with him being wrong. I was embarrassed. My inhibitions came out. But those very inhibitions themselves were wrong. So the result of that is that I got convicted of sin and I had to repent. But I was also reminded of something else that happened the year before last as well, because again it was unprecedented. I'd never done anything like this whatsoever. And it was when I went to see aliens up in London. And for the first time in my life I was so excited that at the end, I mean when the alien has splunged everyone up and it's kind of getting onto the spaceship and is about to kill the heroine and suddenly the hero arrives in the spaceship and it suddenly appears and do you know what I did? I was like, I, in a, I was cheering in the cinema because I was so excited now can you see that when I got embarrassed about shouting when worshipping the Lord, that is not because of inhibitions in regards to shouting. It's totally irrational inhibitions when it comes to worshipping the Lord. Can you see what I'm saying? We are not truly ourselves when we worship the Lord. And we ought to be truly ourselves when we worship the Lord. And what we've got to do is we've got to stop excusing our inhibitions. We've got to stop saying to people who are free in worship to shut up because you're embarrassing the rest of us. I'll tell you, it's the rest of us who have got to catch up. Can you see what I'm saying? This is the picture that the Bible is giving us about it. Go now to Psalm 149. Psalm 149 and verse 3. Let them praise his name with dancing. And then the next Psalm, 150 verse 4, praise him with the timbrel and with the dance. Dancing. What? In church? Precisely. It's the very place it should happen. And in the Hebrew, the word here used for dancing is the Hebrew word morkol. And the Hebrew word, morkel, comes from another word, keel, which means to twist or to twirl. And here the Bible says, praise the Lord by twisting and twirling unto him. Wow, this isn't what we've been taught, is it? Go to 2 Samuel. Let's actually see this in practice. Have a look about something about King David, because remember King David was a man after God's own heart. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we'll start reading from verse 12. Now what's happened here is that the ark of the Lord has been restored to Israel, which was a great, a great occasion. Verse 12, and it was told to King David, and that he said, The Lord has blessed the household of Obededom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obededom to the city of David when, uh, with rejoicing. And with, when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David danced before the Lord with all 
his might. So David and the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Here, David is so excited about what the Lord's doing that he dances with all his might at the head of the procession returning to Jerusalem with the um, ark. Now, there's something you need to understand there because in the ancient world, there was a particular practice that people had and that if an important man or a king or someone like that, if there was an occasion for great rejoicing and there was a big procession, do you know what they did? they sent one of their slaves to dance in front of the procession. So this poor old slave would be sent out there and he'd have to dance, you see, not because he was rejoicing, because he'd been told to, but to symbolise that it was occasion of joy. And what David does here, here is the king of, uh, king of Israel, the number one in the land, he takes the place of a slave because all he wants to do is to praise the Lord. And there you have it. He he sort of dances with all his might before the Lord. Again, think of dancing. What's dancing? Body language. You've been to parties. Well, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about mad parties. I'm not talking about that. But we've all been to parties. We all like dancing. Now, even if you're dancing with your wife or your friends or whatever, what is it? It's a sign of happiness. It's a sign of jollity. It's a sign that there is something to celebrate going on, that you are at a celebration and there's dancing. Well, I can't think of a greater celebration than coming together and worshipping the Lord. And what do you do at a celebration? Well, one of the things we do is that we dance. Now, I remember a few years ago, um, most of you know Robert Lee, don't you? And, and, and we were over at his fellowship. And um, I'm not one of these people who has the Lord speak audibly to me much, it happens very rarely, but this was one occasion when the Lord did. And I was sitting there and I was just, it was like 10 minutes before I was teaching and that, and other people were, were praising, and I was just praying before I, I kind of started. Now, those of you who know Bob Lee will be able to picture this quite well. Bob Lee is standing two feet away from me, I'm sitting down, alright, there he is, he's jumping up and down, shouting his head off because he loves the Lord and he's waving his maracas around, <laughs> alright? So there he is, praising the Lord with absolutely everything that he can. Anything he could hold, he would praise the Lord with, he said. Now, I was sitting there, and I just said to the Lord, I said, Lord, what is worship? I just said that, I said, what is worship? And immediately I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, it's a party. Now, can you think of a better definition of worship? It's a party. We're getting together, but more than that, it's a party, not for the sake of a party, it's a party that's thrown in the honour of a special guest. And his name is Jesus. And we come together to have this party with Jesus, to worship him, to celebrate how wonderful he is. Now, are you getting the picture of Christian worship as far as the Bible is concerned? You know, it's still the case today for too many Christians that they go to the church looking like they're going to the dentist. They then come out looking like they've been. <laughs> but the point is, realistically, is that surprising with some of the dead, boring bleh, services that many churches, in fact, have. Is it surprising that people come out looking bored to tears? Well, no, it's not. Can you see the vitality, the life, the power, the joy in Christian worship as represented by the Bible? Now, of course, 
you're going to want more confirmation from the scripture. I mean, because all right, I've picked out a few stories, and maybe some of you are saying, "Oh, this is just silly old, silly old Beresford." I mean, we know he's silly, and he gets these bees in his bonnet and stuff like that. You know, it's. But what I want to show you now is that everything I've shown you is absolutely there in every part of the Bible. But before I do that, you've got to realise that we have not, in fact, the infallible Word of God. This, this book is, is not the infallible Word of God. The infallible Word of God was the Word of God written 2,000 years ago in particular languages, all right? And this is a translation of the Word of God. So, therefore, in order to understand thoroughly what the Bible says, you've got to go back to the original languages. Now, often it's the case that Bible translators, or at least when they're translating into English, they tend to be a little bit boring. They're not very generous with the variety of terms that they use. You see, because you can read through the Bible from start to finish, and you can find the word praise again and again and again and again. And from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, you've got the word praise. So we read it, praise the Lord, and we say, I've just seen that the Bible says praise the Lord. I now know what the Bible says. But the problem is, that one word praise is used for 13 different Greek and Hebrew words meaning praise. But each one of those Hebrew or Greek words means a specific way of praising. And what I just want to do very, very quickly is I'm just going to read you out what these words means to show you the diversity of what the Bible says of the actual actions that you take when praising. There are eight Hebrew and there are three Greek. Just do the Hebrew ones. First of all, Barak. And Barak means to kneel. So sometimes in the Old Testament, when you read the phrase praise, the word praise, it can actually mean to kneel. And there is a time in quiet worship to kneel before the Lord. There is a time for that. Another word is hill lul, right? And hill lul, which gets translated praise by our boring Bible translations, means celebrate, it means to make merry. So sometimes when you read the word praise in your Old Testament, it means celebrate and be merry. It doesn't just mean praise. It means praise by celebrating and being merry. Halal is another one. And that means to make a show of it. That's what halal means. It means to do something in such a way that no one can miss it. Make a big show of it. That's what that word praise means. So again, the Bible says that sometimes in order to praise the Lord, you've got to make a show of it. So everyone knows what's going on. Zulmar. Now, Zulmar gets translated praise. Full stop, praise. Zulmar means to twang. Do you believe that? It means to twang. It means twanging a stringed instrument. So there are times for people to get out their harps, lyres, guitars, whatever it is, and to just go to town on their instruments, praising the Lord. Yordor. There's a weird language, Hebrew. Yordor. Now, Yordor means to worship with extended hands. Well, you can't get clearer than that, to worship with extended hands. Another one is sure back. We just had your door, but this one is sure back. And sure back means address in a loud voice. In other words, shout. 
Can you see? Everything that we've taken from the Psalms, this is absolutely intrinsic to the entire Bible's stance on what praise and worship is. Another one, Tehi Law. Alright? Now, Tehi Law means to sing praise. Alright? So, obviously, there's a time when we sing our praises. And then the last of the Hebrew ones is Todor, which means, again, to extend the hands. Alright? Let's come on to the Greek words. There are three. Aenio, which means to speak praise. That will be covered by, you know, sort of like shouting or just saying praise the Lord. There's to speak praise. There's humnio, and that's the word we get him from, which means to sing praise. All right? And then lastly, there's salo. Now, salo also gets translated psalm, but do you know what it means? Yes, it means to twine. <coughs> And do you know what a psalm is? The literal meaning of the word psalm, it's a twanging. And that in actual fact, what I should have done tonight is said, let us turn to twanging 150. Because that's literally what it means. I mean, we're talking noise here. We're talking celebration. We're talking praising the Lord in this absolutely comprehensive way that the Bible speaks about. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we have to do all these things at the same time. I'm not saying that we have to do all these things all the time. But what I've shown you are the different aspects of using your body in praise. And that all of these things have a legitimate place at the right time. Therefore, we ought to expect these things to be happening. But of course, often, we don't. Now, well... <laughs> Just, I just nearly landed in his drum set. I think I'll move forward a bit. Yeah, right. Yeah, and of course sometimes, all right, we see what the Bible says about praise, but then we realise that, but, but we're different to that. We're not doing it the way the Bible says. Now, you see, the point is that on anything, if we discover that we're not doing it the way the Bible says, then the absolutely simple point there is that therefore it is up to us to change. And what we've got to begin un to understand is that with our inhibitions and all our hang-ups and all our little, you know, well, I mean, I, I get embarrassed easily. We've got to understand that if you hadn't got a sinful nature, you would never be embarrassed. You've got to understand that the root of all these things that hold us back, embarrassment, inhibitions, all these things, the root of them is sin. And that we really do need to realise that Jesus did not die for the hang-ups of the world. He died for our sins. And we've got to start being realistic about our hang-ups. You see, with this embarrassment thing, you think, well, I know I'm supposed to worship like that, I'm supposed to put my hand, and I, and I really, I'd like to, but I feel such a fool, you know. And I mean, we've got to realise that that actually, the root of that is sin. Because why do people say, oh, I couldn't, I feel such a fool? I'll tell you, it's pride. It's pride. It's fear of man. It's thinking that if I do that, even though God wants me to, other people will think I'm daft. And it's putting what men and women think of you before what God thinks of you. In actual fact, it's pleasing men rather than pleasing God. Now, I remember again some years ago, in actual fact, and I was at Bible college, which wasn't a happy time for me, but sometimes, well, on a Saturday night, they'd have one of these 
oh, outside speakers. Well, I shouldn't say that because I'm one now. But when you're at Bible college, the, I mean, after a whole week of studying the Bible, the last thing you wanted was a sermon on Saturday night. And one of these silly Bible teachers was there, you see. And so he came along. And, uh, you know, before he spoke, he got everything worshipping. And then for the 28th time that week, someone said, let's sing If I Were a Butterfly. Now, do you know that chorus? If I were a butterfly, I'd say, I was disgusted. <laughs> and I sat there and I said, Lord, I'm not doing it. I thought, that is so childish. I've, Lord, I've come here because I want to be a preacher. I didn't come here to act like an absolute twat, you see. And I was sitting there and I thought, I am not going to sing this. So I didn't. But you know what happened? The Lord convicted me of being snotty. <laughs> And when I thought about it, I thought, yeah, that's right. I was being snotty. Because just think about that chorus. It's very simply saying, if I were a butterfly, I'd thank you, Lord, by doing my wings or whatever it is. But can you see, each verse ends, but I just thank you, Father, for making me, me. Let me tell you, that is one of the most profoundest truths that you can find in the Bible. That God made you, you, and then he threw the mould away. And I remember too how Jesus said that unless you become like little children and I suddenly realised that me sitting there being disgusted at the idea of singing that chorus and just flatly refusing, I just sat there, total rebellion, total uh, hump, that's all it was. I realised that what was happening, I mean I would have rationalised it with I haven't come here to be demeaned and I've got better things to do, I was being proud. My pride, my arrogance was sparked off by the simplicity of rejoicing before the Lord that I'm me and not somebody else. You should still have your Bible open in 2 Samuel. And in 2 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to continue the story that we started earlier. Sorry, 2, 2 Samuel chapter 6. First of all, we're going to read verse 16. <clears throat> As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, now this is King David's wife, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Go over to verse 20. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, this is his wife, remember, but Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honoured himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of his servants, uh, as, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father to be prince over Israel, and I will make merry before the Lord. And he says, I will yet make myself more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes, but by the maids of whom, but by the maids whom you have spoken, by, by them I shall be held in honour. And it says, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child in the day of his death, well, until the day of her death. Well, I'm not surprised. Who wants to sleep with a wife like that? Can you see that here, David's wife, and we realise from this that the reason she married him was because well, it was king, it was position, it was power. And lots of Christians who are like this. They're after the position, they want the pomp and the glory and, well, they're visiting speakers and stuff like that. Now, and when they see, see people with simple, sim 
childlike simplicity, praising the Lord, it offends them. And they despise them in their hearts. Can you see? Because it hits up and it grates against the pride that's in our hearts. And what we've got to do is that we've got to, bit by bit, be overcoming that pride. Simply confessing it. Now, obviously, everything that I've said challenges our traditional ways of worshipping. Now, here, it's good. You've, 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 you've chucked the traditions away. Praise the Lord. All right. But, of course, there's still further to go. Obviously, of course there is, but praise the Lord that you've escaped from the old traditional hymn sandwiches and, you know, sort of prayer, hymn, prayer, you know, it's, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. And the Lord's led you out of that. But you see, where we need to be heading in this praise is that I've been showing us what we have to do with our bodies. But of course the point is this, whenever we act in obedience to the word of God, then God honours what we're doing with his presence. And that in actual fact, the place where God wants to bring us to, here, I'm talking about this church, not talking about church down the road, that's irrelevant. God wants to do this here with you, that's why it's so beautiful. All right. He wants to bring us to the point where we come for worship, and you know, the Holy Spirit will just take over. There won't be any need to like have planned out in advance which choruses you're going to sing. They'll all be there ready to bung up on the screen. Of course they will. But you'll come together and the Lord will be in the very choruses you sing. And the Holy Spirit will just inhabit your praises. And that you'll find that it flows like a river you'll find that it builds up, it becomes more and more powerful and that as we submit ourselves and just abandon ourselves to the Lord through obedience to his word then we will find worship becoming one of the most dynamic and powerful experiences that we have and we'll find that we'll be meeting with Jesus in intense reality because of our worship more than that we'll find that this above all else will release the gifts of the Holy Spirit because the same Holy Spirit who's actually leading you in the very chorus you're singing can then lead someone in tongues and interpretation, in prophecy. Can you see the Lord inhabits the praises of his people and then you really begin to move in the power of the Lord. And of course everyone has their part to play in this. Remember in 1 Corinthians 14 when Paul says, he says, when you come together each one has a hymn. Each one has a revelation. Each one has a teaching. Can you see, it's not a question of having someone up the front. I mean, there may be someone up the front that the Lord wants to direct. I'm not saying, but the point, it's not a question of leaving it just to someone at the front. Everybody has a part to play in this and that the Holy Spirit wants to move through absolutely everybody into this freedom of worship that he wants us to have. Right, but, okay. We've got to end with this question. So maybe there you are, as I am still to a certain extent, bound up. I know that there is a freedom that Jesus wants me to have that I haven't come into yet. I rejoice in the freedom I have come into, but there's a lot more to go, believe me. So you're sitting there and you're thinking, yeah, I know that this is right. I know it, oh, it's exciting, but oh, how do I get those hands in the air? I mean, what do you do on a practical level? And what you do is quite simply this, you always take it one step at a time. Do not expect to go from standing there like that, hardly daring to move, suddenly to someone who's dancing in the aisles. Don't, don't expect to, to do that overnight. Take it one step 
at a time. The Lord is not in a hurry. And the first step is simply this, I've already said it, it's confession. It's coming to the Lord and it's saying, Lord, I am really in bondage about worship. It's saying, Lord, I'm inhibited, I'm kind of... And it's coming, Lord, saying, Lord, forgive me for this. You begin by confessing it as sin. Now, as you keep doing that, you are putting an area of your life that before wasn't right with God, you're bringing it into fellowship with God simply through confessing it. And you're opening that part of your life for the Holy Spirit to work and to have his way. So therefore, come to the Lord. And remember the word confession, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, the Greek word there for confess is homologio, and it literally means to say the same thing as. Not a question of feelings, confession of sin is an act of the will. You do it because it's right. So what I want you to do is to say, Lord, yes, it's wrong that I'm bound up in regards to worship. Lord, I confess that as sin. I... Maybe I suggest that, for instance, if, if you are even unable to put your hands in the air, all right, what I suggest is next time, and um, make sure there's no one looking first, next time, sort of, do that, you know, little, yeah, just, just, just get your hands up there. And when you've done that for a little bit, that, it'll be so natural, you see. And then you can get them up. Can you see, take it bit by bit. The Lord's not kind of saying, yeah, start worshipping me properly. It's not a question of that. Just take it a step at a time in faithfulness to God and you will find that that release is going to start coming. So remember, you have no control over what you feel, but you do have control over what your body does. Begin bit by bit to do this. I wouldn't expect you to go from being someone who hardly dares move in worship to dancing up and down the aisles. But you can have a little bob. Make sure no one's looking, because we don't want you to be in... This is between you and God. This is nothing to do with anyone else. Just bob up and down for the Lord. Now, David danced before the Lord with all his might, and that's where the Lord wants to bring us. But if at the moment all you can manage is a little bob, if it's for Jesus, he'll be thrilled with it. There's just no question of that. A little bit at a time. Don't rush. And of course, the last thing that I want to say about this particular aspect is that there should never be public coercion. For instance, when I finished, I am not going to request that we play the most frantic chorus we can think of. I am not going to say, now come on everyone, stand up. I'm, I'm not going to come amongst you and, and grab you and waltz with you or anything because that is totally unproductive. All it does is put people on, on, on their guard. I'm not going to do that because that's not fair. But I'm just trusting that you're going to take what I'm saying. I can do nothing about it. All I can do is tell you. My role is then over. It's what you do with it. And if next week, I mean, a little bob for Jesus, and that's major victory, can you see what I mean? So then... The point is, two things to, lie, to, to leave on, and it's this. We're talking about praise. I've been talking about how we praise, but we must end here on why we praise. We've got to end here. I've simply been talking about how you do it, but we've got to end on why you do it. And think about it. I'm sure it's true of you at times, as it is of me, that sometimes I do not praise the Lord. I just don't. Usually it's when I've got things on my mind. If something is going against me, I have a tendency to stop praising the Lord. Now, the point is this. 
The reason we give praise to God is because he's worthy of it. Now, sadly, what I do sometimes is that I give glory to God because he's done something good for me. And that's terribly selfish. So can you see, if you're in a position where things aren't good for you, and I mean, we all know what that is, if you're going through a bad time, do not stop praising. You have no excuse to stop praising. The reason is because praise is because God is worthy of it. And if you wake up in the morning with the worst depression you've ever had, then God is as worthy to be praised as he was before you got that depression. Don't stop praising him. Can you see? Because our praise is to God. It's because he is worthy of all the glory. We do it for him, not us. And I think that it's tremendously dangerous. An awful lot of Christian literature, especially charismatic literature, which would lead you to believe that if you're not getting your prayers answered, then if you start praising, you will. Let me tell you, that false teaching is leading thousands of Christians into a life of praise in order to get their prayers answered. Now, the Bible says that prayers are answered according to faith, and that praise is because God is worthy of it. And can you see how Satan loves it if he manages to get us praising the Lord for what we can get out of it, that is terrible. That is not what praise is about. We praise the Lord not for what we get out of it. We praise the Lord because he is worthy of praise. But, having said that, because God is the sort of God he is, and, and you can sum God up in one phrase, the slightest excuse and he will bless you, alright? Now, because God is like that, it means that when you do praise, there is going to be a really good perk in it for you. Now, don't praise him because there's goodies in it. Don't do that. You praise him because he's worthy of praise. But if you do, there are going to be goodies in it because God's just like that. I mean, he cannot accept a compliment without paying you for it. He's lovely, you know, he's terrific. He just wants to share us with good things. Therefore, the point is this. If you praise, you're going to be doing yourself a favour too. Because think about it. If you're going through a bad time, you've got two choices. You can praise the Lord or you can moan about it. All right? Now, if you moan about it, what's going to happen? You see? And what happens? You put yourself out of fellowship with the Lord completely. All you think about is whatever's giving you a bad time. You slam the door shut on God giving you grace to go through that time, and you make that bad time 20 times worse because you're not praising the Lord. So you get more and more miserable, answers to prayer never comes, that situation never gets sorted out. Because you're not praising, you're just moaning in it, alright? You're moaning. And you're damaging yourself and making yourself more and more unhappy. If on the other hand, in that bad time you praise the Lord, then what's going to happen is this. You're going to get your attention off of yourself onto Jesus. And when you do that, you get blessed. You're going to stop thinking about poor old you, and you're going to start thinking about wonderful old Jesus. And when you do that, you will be strengthened. When you do that, you will find blessing even in the hard times that you're going through. And just remember this, think of it in this way. Whatever you need, whatever you need, you certainly will not get it if you're preoccupied with yourself and not praising the Lord. You won't. It's as simple as that. Because to not praise the Lord is sin. 
I will praise the Lord at all times, is what the Bible says. If you fall into sin, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So whatever you need, you ain't going to get it if you stop praising. So can you see what you have most definitely got to do is you've got to begin praising the Lord. But fundamentally because he is so worthy of praise and because he is so wonderful.